This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. You guys are so nice. Thank you. (laughs) This week on the show, White House correspondent for PBS, Yamish Alcindor, and Vice News correspondent, Evan McMorris-Santoro. All right, here's your host and my favorite nephew, Sam Sanders. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute, live in NPR's Studio One. We're here with a live audience tonight, taping the show on Thursday evening. Uh, Each week, we start the show with a different song. We'll talk about that song in a bit. But first, our guests, two all-stars and friends of the show, Yamiche Alcindor, White House correspondent for PBS, and Evan McMorris-Santoro, correspondent for Vice News. Fun fact... All three of us have one big thing in common. We rode the Bernie bus. We covered Bernie Sanders for a long time uh, in 2015 and 2016. Many a frozen, frozen days and nights. And we basically wore the same outfits that they have on right now. I wore this every day. (laughs) I wore this every day. I have changed my outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So this song, I like it. I think it's very catchy, and that's why I'm playing it. It is by a group you may have heard of called Migos, featuring Pharrell. It's called Stir Fry. I'm playing it because at the All-Star Game this weekend, Pharrell and Migos played the song. But, but right before Pharrell did this song with Migos, he went through, like, all of his hits, you know? And I realized, like, Pharrell's been around forever. Right? Yeah. Long time. I looked it up. Pharrell's first hit as a songwriter or producer was in 1992 on a song called Rump Shaker. He wrote that. He's been around since 1992. Well, he achieved sort of like mom minivan car music. So you had to be around a long time, right? I mean, he was like the official... Like from Rump Shaker to Happy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, at this point, it's like, oh, that's 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 nice. You know what I mean? And he just pops up. He's like the the Forrest Gump of pop music. (laughs) He just manifests. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. You know, I'm sorry. I have to, I take my, I don't record in shoes. <laughs> so we can't start the show with my shoes. Now we can get started. Are those your radio right. socks? Right. I don't know. Just, I wore pretty socks. Today, pretty good, guys. yeah. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Uh, we're going to each describe how the week of news felt in three words. The best dressed on stage will go first, Jimmy Shirup. <laughs> uh, kids will lead was the three words I chose. Um... Mainly because I feel like there's already this conversation that millennials are this generation that sometimes gets the bad rep of being lazy or too much into selfies. But when you look at these kids that came out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, you look at the poise talking to the cameras, you look at their composure when they're speaking to the president. And even though they're crying, they're still being able to talk about policies that directly affect their lives. This one young man was saying that he was born after Columbine. And as a result, he never got the opportunity to ever feel safe in his school. That's a different generation than I had because I remember watching Columbine. These kids know even less about 
um, know less about being safe. They know less about having peace than I thought I did. And I even it doesn't matter what political side you're on in, in this argument. I think that when you look at those kids, you think, you know what? The future is going to be okay. This country has some people that are ready to step up and talk and be thoughtful about the way that this country is going to be yeah. going forward. But the things that these kids are going through as they pursue this activism, it's stuff that we never would have dealt with when we were kids. You know, they have to deal with conspiracy theorists on social media who were slamming them. Um, a day or two after the shooting, they were being critiqued for even daring to comment on the shooting. Um, they just have a harder road ahead of them because they're so much more public-facing than we were ever forced to be should we choose to do a thing like that. You know, They're also so savvy at dealing with that, though. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. woe be the person that tries to cross one of these kids. They just pwn them constantly <laughs> yeah. on the internet right and left because yeah. this is their medium. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I saw, right, the Bill O'Reilly tweet. He's like, should we really let these kids who are suffering under tough peer pressure come out and talk? And one of the kids is like, probably, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you're not going to get them with this yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. They're yeah. so good at social media. I thought I was good at social media because I was like, you oh, are. yeah, I can tweet. No, these kids, <laughs> these kids, if you put these kids on the road, on the Russian bots, they might be able to figure out what Russia did before we do. I think the big question is what their activism will achieve. You know, there are already comparisons to the tragedy at Sandy Hook when you saw the mothers and fathers of those children that died there lobby hard with President Obama for change. Nothing really happened. We've already seen in Florida this week a proposal to ban assault weapons. That failed, and you saw those Parkland kids in the rafters crying. They're planning to march all throughout the country and come to Washington, but you've been following this policy front all week, Evan, right? Like, what are the chances for policy change, and what might that look like? Well, it sort of depends on how you want to define it. I mean, if you're expecting something to happen very soon, I would not expect that to happen. I mean, I was just watching the Heli NRA today at CPAC, and, like, they're not having it. They're not involved. They're not into this. But on the other hand, you have politicians like Marco Rubio, who is at the CNN town hall, um, who, under sort of a barrage of booing, changed some of his positions towards a more gun-control-friendly Way. Yeah. Well, and then also we have President Trump, who is just a wild card thrown into all of this. He has tweeted pretty erratically since the shooting and kind of been all over the map. Do we know exactly yet what he wants? We have an idea of what he wants. He says that he wants to back this bipartisan bill that the NRA also supports that would tell states, look, you really have to do your job when it comes to background checks. So it doesn't add anything, but it strengthens or at least tells them that you need to be more compliant on background checks. He said that he wants to, to end the sale of bump stocks, which is this device that allows um, rifles to, to fire faster. And then he came out and said that we should increase the age of people for, for people to buy AR-15s, which means that people can no longer get it at 18. They might be able to get it at 21. But he also, the biggest thing that came out of this week was the fact that he wants to put um, hundreds, of, he wants to put hundreds of thousands of guns in the hands of teachers. Um, and he wants to, to give them bonuses if they say that they'll carry a gun in their classrooms. So he's kind of all over the place. But I actually got my first question in at the White House briefing this week. Yay! Hey. And the question I asked was, well, is he going to be able to give political cover to Republicans who back his ideas instead of the NRA? Because the NRA does not want people, does not want the age that people have can buy AR-15s to go up. And they said that he would give them political cover. But this president has had a very checkered relationship with Congress. Yeah. 
You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, Jamish Alcindor, PBS White House correspondent, and Evan McMorris-Santoro, correspondent for Vice News. Evan, you are up. Describe your week of news and everything else in three words. So I'm going with whose party now? I'll go back to that. It's seat. our party tonight. That's right. Well, tonight's our see. party. <laughs> it's a shoeless, it's a shoes off kind of party wow. tonight. For um, one of us. But <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. You don't want yeah. Um, no, going back to what I was talking about before. So today I spent the day at CPAC, which is of Say course is. the annual conservative political action conference. It's been around for decades. It was sort of where the Reagan generation sort of built its power in Washington. It's just a big conservative conference, and it's usually a place where uh, the the purpose of it is to bring young people from all over the country, into Washington to hear conservative speakers talk about conservatism, sort of build that movement up. And obviously, in recent years, there's been a lot of back and forth about sort of what the Republican Party is. Is it the Republican Party of Jeff Flake? Is it the Republican Party of Donald Trump? Is it the Republican Party of pick and choose who you like? Because there's so many different ways it could go. And um, now, this question that we've had about the Republican Party is sort of been answered. Like CPAC is a Trump event. And it's actually it it caused a lot of people to actually feel kind of bad. I was walking around CPAC and this Here's kid me. comes up to me. He's like 20 years old. This kid named Stephen Kent. Okay. And he's like, "All right." He was like he, he I was a young conservative in college. I've al- I've always been into conservative politics. It's always been my dream to go to CPAC, but I'm sort of like a traditional kind of Republican. Mm-hmm. And he was despondent. He's like there's nothing for me here. But on the other hand, one, isn't it expected for a president, when they control the party, to pull the party towards them? And two, where else is that young Republican going to go? Well, here's the thing. The yeah. reason why there's still a question about whether or not it was President Trump's party is because the party fought him so hard yeah. on becoming the their nominee. nominee. And, and there were previous CPACs where he was, like, booed. Yeah, not to mention that there have been Republicans who work for him calling him a moron. There have been people that refuse to re- run for re-election because they don't want to work with this White House. So there's this idea that even though the party, obviously, you would think you're president, you, it's your party. In reality, yeah, the question's been answered. But when you walk the halls of Congress and you ask Republican senators or lawmakers about some tweet that happened that morning, you can see the cringe go across their entire body. <laughs> and then you get these off the record kind of smirks and, and looks at you saying, oh my God, like, I don't want to talk about that today. Yeah. Because you realize that the people that have to work with them every day are so kind of embarrassed at times that they have to defend this president's. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very, very simple. The purpose of CPAC is to help elect more conservatives. And there's a guy who has not done that uh, since he was president, and that's Donald Trump. I have three words for the week, and they are, it takes time. And it's because of two events that I've been following pretty closely that confirm this belief I have about all current events, which is the things that we want or expect to happen quickly or in a certain time frame, they usually take much longer than that. One, Brexit. Uh, We all know that a while back now, the UK voted to leave the EU. But this week, the government of the UK released a government paper that said... The transition period after Brexit, where they ease out of the EU, it could take longer than two years. It's supposed to just be two years. But now there's a line in this new paper that says, literally, that the period will will take, quote, simply how long it will take. (laughs) 
life. What do you mean? At, you know, at this point, Brexit should be like the name of a rom-com, right? It starts out, <laughs> like you read, you know, like some guy is reading the book and the book says, you've got to leave this woman. She doesn't, it. And, he's, and he leaves her and then instantly regrets it. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of feel like it's going to be like a thing that just does not happen. Um, it ends in the rain. They're both going to be staying in the rain. <laughs> Europe. I made a huge mistake. <laughs> Europe says, we knew you were stupid. Yeah. We like you anyway. Yeah. And they come it's back crazy. together. I mean, it's definitely making things more, more difficult for Theresa May, who's trying to keep her conservative party unified, but deal with it. Second thing that made me say this week, it takes time, was Twitter. Um, this week, uh, about a week after federal officials indicted 13 Russian nationals for trying to tamper with our election, Twitter launched a new crackdown on bots and spam accounts. And around Wednesday of this week, they started to just block a bunch of accounts. Um, this made conservatives very mad. Some conservatives said that they were taking off real people. Other conservatives just said, I'm losing thousands of followers. This sucks. Um, they launched the hashtag Twitter lockout. And so now Twitter has this mess on its hands where a big portion of their user base thinks that they're being biased and they might be kicking off real live users. So this company and Facebook and others are going to try to get things right in the light of what we know about Russian interference. But as I said before, it takes time. To jump in on that, you know, where was the perpetrating of all these hoaxes about these kids from that high school in Florida, Facebook and Twitter yes. and YouTube? Like, yes. it takes time, but like, they know what they're bad at, well, they and they knew, can't yeah. stop being bad at it. But if like, they just yeah, can't stop being bad at it. If There's a great story, actually, in Think Progress. Not to go back to CPAC. I was there today. It's like a lot of stuff on my mind. But <laughs> Facebook had a big help desk section, a big you know, booth, like a very like sort of startup-y looking booth, in the middle of the CPAC um, Facebook did. vendor uh -huh. area. So it's like NRA booth, picture of Oliver North, Facebook, you know, jangling Edison light bulbs. And it's like they're right next to each other. Facebook is just right there in the middle of this thing, right in the middle of a time when a lot of the people who are at, who go to places like CPAC are the ones who are mad about the stuff with, the, with like, like the Twitter cancellations, the Twitter uh, stuff like that. But they're also the ones who perpetrate a lot of these hoaxes. And Facebook is right in there because they still want they want that they want the business from those people. So it's very difficult for me to understand. I get this idea that they're trying to do the right thing. And you think about how much information these companies have on you. And if they just don't want to do this, they, they just feel like they don't want to fix it or want to take their time because they need to make sure that they're going to be as profitable as they were last year if, while, while also trying to deal with this Russian bots. They can just do that. Yeah. Well, and also we've seen a Congress show no will to actually regulate them at all. So far. Well, they have a lot of lobbying power to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. 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 On that positive, uplifting <laughs> note. Coming up, we're going to look back on election 2016 and what we know now. And also a very special edition of Who Said That with a very special guest host. Stay tuned. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Simply Safe. Getting a good night's sleep is easier said than done, especially if you hear a noise downstairs. You could turn on all the lights and keep watch, or you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe. Each Simply Safe system is a complete security arsenal. There are no contracts and no hidden fees. Get a special 10% discount when you order today at simplysafe.com/minute. 
Support also comes from Masterclass, producing online classes taught by masters of their craft. Each class is shot with cinematic production quality and offers on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content. Classes include Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking, Annie Leibovitz teaches photography, Steph Curry teaches basketball, and more. It's been a minute listeners can unlock every class with the new all-access pass, available now at masterclass.com slash minute. Do you love trivia, puzzles, nerdy games, and humor? What about interviews with actors, musicians, and people from all walks of life? Yeah? Then join me, Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders here in front of a live audience at NPR Studio One. Two great guests on the show today, Yamish Alcindor, PBS White House correspondent, Evan McMorris-Santoro, correspondent for Vice News. Before we get back into things, guys, a quick question, all right? This week in the news, I saw that KFC restaurants in the UK uh, had been closed because of a chicken shortage. I'm serious. Let me tell you why. Um, they had some logistical issues with the new delivery company that they're working with, and the chicken couldn't get to where it needed to be. Um, in light of this... Brits took it upon themselves to call lawmakers and the police to complain. (laughs) So my question for you is, what fast food disruption would make you call the police? Uh, Well, I will say this. I have felt like I needed an ambulance several times after a long night of Taco Bell. (laughs) Okay. I'm getting married. That's why I can't eat at all. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) But if I was eating... Uh I would say Wendy's because I'm just obsessed with spicy chicken sandwiches. Okay. And would absolutely call, call 911. Call the police I would call 911. I'm probably going to call 911 in April if they like, if I come back from my honeymoon and there's no spicy chicken sandwiches, <laughs> I'm going to like have a major freak out. Okay. So I can finally eat again. Okay. All right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see it, but we just had a little Drake gif on the screen right there. Um, You guys know this segment. I call up a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about the news in their neck of the woods. This week, we have a very special guest. As you all know... Wait, is she there? As you all know, I love the Olympics. So on the line right now, we have an Olympian. Join us via Skype. Devin, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey! Can you hear me? You guys, this is Devin Logan. She was on the show about two weeks ago. She has been competing for Team USA at the Olympics right now in South Korea. You can't see them. There's a live crowd here to say hi to you. Hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I also have two friends of mine here on stage, Jamish and Evan. Say hi, guys. Hey. How are you? Nice. I'm great. I am currently uh, walking to go check out some figure skating free skate today. Okay, that sounds pretty awesome. That sounds pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So try to, try to take in all the experiences while I'm here. Yeah, yeah. So Devin competed in Sochi last Olympics, and I met her there and got to do a story about her. She went uh, this go round to compete in what slope style and half pipe? Was that it? Yes. Yep, that's correct. So how'd your events go? Um, they went. All right. I mean, you know, I wish I could have done better, but um, what can you do? I actually gave myself a hematoma on my knee 
um, right before Slopestyle finals, and then I had half-pipe two days later. So a um, little bumps in the road, but had a good time nonetheless. Yeah, and you're still a medal holder. You won a silver in Sochi. Um, since you have finished competing, how have you been filling your time out there in South Korea? Um, you know, like always, Korean barbecue, uh, some karaoke, seeing events, you know, just kind of taking it all in. In Sochi, I didn't get to stay around just because when you win a medal, they kind of ship you out and you do the media tour. But now that that didn't happen this time, I get to really experience everything. And yeah, excited to go to closing ceremonies and just hang out. Yeah. Cheer on Team USA. Yeah. I know last time you didn't get to march in the closing ceremonies. You're going to do it this time in spite of the hematoma. But um, (laughs) will you be marching with the hands? First, tell folks what the hands are. Um, They're my tiny hands. (laughs) Um, So they're these like plastic little tiny hands I put on my pointer fingers and kind of hide the rest of my hand and really creep some people out with it. I creeped out Leslie Jones at the Today Show. I went to shake her hand and introduce myself and she was like, she practically jumped. (laughs) That was Leslie Jones, you said? Yeah. Oh, she cool? Yeah, she was super rad. She's been going to a bunch of events, so it was awesome to finally uh, meet her in person because I've been seeing her tweets and following her along, so. Yeah. Oh, hey, Devin, this is Evan. <laughs> hey. <laughs> it's like uh, the D silent in my version. Um, <laughs> I want to know, because I've never been to the Olympics, I've always kind of wanted to go, what is it like to be there versus someone like me who watches everything on TV that happens in the Olympics? What do we not see when we're watching it on TV? Um, you don't see all the security lines that we walk through, um, you know, the taking all the buses, the transportation, all the kind of the behind the scenes. And yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a little different. You guys just get to see the events, but just kind of checking out the villages, the different venues. I mean, there's the coastal cluster and then the mountain cluster. And- are the curlers as big as stars in Korea as they are in the United States? <laughs> Um, I think so. The Korean curlers are awesome. I don't know if you guys have been catching those games, but they're on 24-7. <laughs> I have a quick question. This is Yamish. Um, could you talk to me at all, if at all, if, if people even talk about politics there, or is it something that's like completely off the, t- off the table because you just want to eat barbecue? <laughs> um, well, it's kind of off the table. There's a huge language barrier, so even just trying to get around is a bit hard. And, even know, among that American and politics. Athletes? Oh, the American athletes? Um, I thought you just meant in general. Sorry. Um, No, I mean, we're just definitely focused on our sports. You know, we've worked so hard for these moments that, you know, they call it the ripple effect where you don't want any outside distractions kind of, you know, conflicting your thoughts and how you perform. So what's next for you once you get back? Um, I don't really know. I haven't planned anything yet. Hopefully. um, Well, I live in Utah and it's snowing there finally. So Hopefully once the leg heals up, I get to ski some powder and eventually a beach vacation I'm due for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it has been so fun and awesome to follow your career the last few years. And I hope you see all the sights you want to see. I hope you get all the Korean barbecue you can possibly stomach. I hope the hematoma fills up (laughs) just fine. And um, we'll see you on the flip side, okay? All right. Thank you so much, guys. Say bye, guys. She's really the best. She's so just cool. She's the coolest. The, the mini so, hands, I want to see them.
You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with a special edition of the show in front of a live audience at NPR Studio One. Got two great guests, friends of the show, Yamish Alcindor, PBS White House correspondent, Evan McMorris-Santoro, correspondent for Vice News. So we have you here because you both have some specific expertise on the topic that is our main story for this week. Um, I want us to talk about a thing we actually can never stop talking about. That is election 2016. But I want to talk about how that and our perception of it might have changed given the new information, the new things that we now know about the election. I'm talking about what we found out when federal officials indicted these 13 Russian nationals about a week ago. The things we learned were crazy. As early as 2014, a Russian government-backed organization engaged in what they called information warfare. There was a Russian group called the Internet Research Agency that meddled directly in our election in 2016. By September of 2016, they were spending $1.25 million a month. They bought ads. They made groups on social media. They staged their own political rallies, posing as Americans inside America. What? Um... (laughs) At one point, there were up to 80 people working for this thing. They were able to reach 150 million people via Facebook and Instagram. So my first question to you all about this is, how surprised were you to read all that stuff? I mean, the extent of it is amazing. I mean, the amount of money that they spent on it, uh, that $1.25 million a month, to put it in some kind of context, like that's a lot of money for a campaign, a presidential campaign to be spending on social media. Like, that's, <laughs> like that, that, that is legit. Like that's, a, I mean, this, this was a legit operation. Um, if maybe not uh, as super influential as you know, in the long run, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to prove to have actually tilted the election or not. But it is. They were very serious about this. Image. I was struck by two things, uh, other than, of course, the all 37 pages that I think me and most of America gobbled up like it yeah. was a novel. Um, <laughs> I was struck by the fact that when they set up their organization, that it almost looked like a newsroom. They had a graphics department. They had all this stuff that I was like, wait, I know people who work in departments they like that. SEO. Yeah. So the idea that they actually put real thought into this and really um, it wasn't just like some some guy or even a, a couple people that were thinking this through. It was it, they, they had departments. They had people with specific jobs. The second thing that I thought was interesting, President Trump said, I want to say in August in West Virginia, has anyone seen any Russians in West Virginia? Has anyone seen any Russians around the United States? We come to find out that Russians were traveling around the United States and not studying trying to look us. Russian. Yeah, <laughs> trying to right, trying to somehow somehow passing for not Russian um, in the South. But <laughs> I think that. But when I think about that, I think two things. Like one. So you couldn't like turn on the TV and realize what the purple states were like you had to go and make sure they were as purple as you thought like what were those conversations like were you at a bar thinking like oh are you still undecided like I just it just seems very like I just trying to visualize them yeah. trying to study us is weird but it's also um, it was also kind of scary because it makes you feel it's one thing to think okay there's there's quote unquote fake news out there and you have to be really careful about who you what stories you're reading and what online sources but you now have to be really careful about who you're talking to at a bar oh, yeah. or who's coming to your or, or who's coming to events political events yeah. or you're, you know as a reporter you're always interviewing people oh, yeah. and assuming that people are giving you their real names and giving you their real ideas exactly. but not we could all know. have been duped by all sorts of people at the on the Bernie oh, yeah. campaign not even just that 
what they were doing, it wasn't like they were just rooting for one candidate and going against another. Yeah. They were just trying to sow division. They were posing as liberals and as conservatives and as Muslims and as Black Lives Matter activists. Like, it makes all of the water so much more muddy. And they held rallies for Donald Trump and against Donald Trump. It's so, so they, weird. Yeah. Be, uh, the, at the same time. They filled yeah, it, like, and they the filled in both day sides in of the York. same rally. <laughs> A large part of this, though, a large part of this, though, because, I, you know, look, there's a lot of debate about whether how influential this was, whether it really tilted the election or not. The big thing is we were vulnerable to this. We were vulnerable we to this because if you – and I said this to people on the campaign trail so many times. If you literally are flipping open Facebook and you see some crazy thing with some crazy news item and you're like, that sounds legit, like – you, there is a garbage in, garbage out aspect to this. Like, you have got to get smarter about where you get your information. You just have to do but, it because people can come in and they can use these systems that we that we believe we believe that they're authentic because we can see people. We kind of have these interactions with them. You know, you click a little star and someone clicks a star on your thing, and it feels like something real has happened. And what we've learned from this r- Russian operation is that, like. That could be completely phony. But you know what, though? I've been thinking a lot since these indictments came out. Like, at what point do we as journalists in newsrooms across the country have to say, we got some stuff wrong, too? When you think about the topics we chose to focus on or the topics that we chose to not focus on, were those directly influenced by Russian infiltration? And, like, at one point... At what point do we start writing stories about ourselves and how we as newsrooms might have got some of this stuff wrong because of Russian influence? Well, that trending, I mean, this is what they would do. I mean, you know, there's been some discussion now about how to change social media. Mark Cuban actually came out and said that one thing you could do is take... um, Mark Cuban? Why do we... Take the... he's, he's He's a tech guy. Okay. I brought my tech guy. This is a tech guy. All right. But he says that one thing you could do is take off the bottom of social media posts the numbers of uh, like likes or numbers of retweets and things like that that are used to give those things power. Like, yeah. I mean, the media, one way to, that's very easy to dupe us is just get some stuff trending. And people yeah. are like, I mean, oh, how much coverage now. do we do now? Like, well, this is trending. Look, America is talking about this. Yep. And it could easily just have been a botnet that just really yeah. pumped it. And we saw this, I mean... We talked about those kids. I mean, that's what happened. The number yes. one video on YouTube was that one of the kids from that high school who was speaking his mind was actually an actor. It was total nonsense, mm-hmm. but the system can be flipped around to make it look like it's the most popular thing everybody's talking about in America, right? Yeah. I also think when we think about journalists looking at themselves, I think it must be hard for candidates to also think of themselves. Yeah. Like, I, Bernie Sanders was asked about this. I want to say this week, though the weeks are so meshed. Um, I want to say Sunday, but he was talking about this idea that one, he said, yeah, we, we thought something was weird was happening. Our campaign told Clinton's campaign about this. But then he also said, well, maybe Hillary Clinton should have should have done better. Wow. There's this idea that you can't really blame Bernie because in some ways, I mean, there's obviously you can. There are people that are going to say, well, that's just something dumb to say. On the other hand, it's really hard to reflectively say how much of my success was my success uh, and how much of it could I have I don't want to believe that I wasn't as successful myself. Yeah. And the same way with the media, you could say, with, as reporters, I want to say, like, yeah, I think I did a good job covering the 2016 campaign. But I also think, well, did I like did I do background checks on everyone that I interviewed? Is every single person that I talked to definitely not a Russian bot or a Russian a spy? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. So there has been some media reporting about 
What's going to happen in the midterms this fall, given what we now know about how Russia is trying to influence our elections and how they'll probably do it again in November? There actually was a meeting uh, this past weekend of the National Association of Secretaries of State. These are the election officials across the country. And that is the partiest conference in America, by the yeah, way. It, it was, all goes down at the Secretary of State. It was Quran. <laughs> yeah. And so basically, these state election officials complained after this conference that the federal government has not been sharing enough information about threats to the election in November. And then Dan Coates, who's the nation's top spy, he's the director of national intelligence, he said when it comes to Russian meddling or fighting Russian meddling, there is no single agency in charge. Not only that, but this administration, when tasked with looking back at the 2016 election, they launched a effort to discover the 5 million illegal aliens or undocumented immigrants or 5 million people that shouldn't have voted that they said somehow voted. This effort that ended just completely embarrassingly is having to be canceled. No one will participate in it. That's where they spent their time is looking for all these fraudulent votes that weren't real uh, and not on things like hardening our uh, election systems. I, our country has not, uh, under this administration, has, has not seemed, according to all the experts that keep talking about this, has not seemed to turn its focus towards, we need to make sure they can't do any of this stuff again. Yeah, to their credit, there's, never, there's not really an infrastructure to deal with a thing like Russian hacking because it really hasn't been a problem before. Yeah, but it's you new. also have a president who feels as though when you bring up Russian hacking, you're, at, you're saying that he's not le- a legitimate president. I mean, the White House will tell you that they're trying to get serious, that there's cybersecurity task force that was just established by the DOJ that's supposed to be doing some stuff on um, election integrity. But there was a meeting on the Hill with these chiefs, these intelligence chiefs, and they were like, what has the president told you to do to prepare us for the elections? And they were like, "Uh, nothing. Well, Congress said, I mean, (laughs) let's go just basic sort of like, you know, Congress said sanction Russia and the administration hasn't even done that yet. And Republicans and Democrats are pressuring the president to impose those sanctions. So it's not as if it's just Democrats saying, you have to do this. There are Republicans like Peter King of New York who are saying, you know what, I'm going to go with Chuck Schumer on this one and say you should really try to impose these sanctions. You can check it. My mama's texting me. It's Oh, all right. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we're done with this segment. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Dose Fadanya to that one. Time for another quick break. Coming up, a very special edition of Who Said That with a very special guest host. Stay tuned. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery, but Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earn dollar for dollar. No caps and no cash. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cash back bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cashback match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. Hey, y'all, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we can improve this show. Take a short survey. It's anonymous. It's quick. I promise. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Just takes a few minutes, and you will do all of us at this show a big, big favor. All right, help us out here at It's Been a Minute. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you.
And now it is time for the high point of my week. Every well, one of the high points. Uh, my favorite game. Who said that? <laughs> Listeners, you can't see it, but we have the real Housewives video footage that this audio comes from. I'm so glad that we did this. Um, you guys know how this game works at this point, right? It's very simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or just guess the story, or just get close. Just get close. It's fine. But because this is our first live show in front of a live audience, and I wanted to mix things up, and I wanted to get in the game myself, this week I'm going to play, which means this week we have a very special guest host of Who Said That? So please welcome to the stage right now, friend of the show. You know her voice very, very well, the legendary NPR newscaster, Corva Coleman. Thank you, Corva. You're like taking tomorrow off for this, right? Just I actually to be with am. Us. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 I'm going to go home and sleep in. Okay. To like four. Yes, as you should. <laughs> so before we start, how different is preparing for Who Said That than preparing for NPR <laughs> Newscast? It's different because I saved stuff up. Okay. So it's like, oh, I'll use that for Sam. No, I'll use that for Sam. No, I'll use that for Sam. <laughs> so it was, um, I was looking for things that I thought would pique your interest in particular. Okay. I'm excited about it. And I've, ne- I've never played. So this is a whole new world for me. You like to uh, break in the new boys. Corva uh-huh. <laughs> 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 has the quotes. I promise that I have not seen them. Take it away, Corva. All right. Here we go. You ready? Here's your first quote. I think most people will laugh and be like, what would you possibly need doping for? No, that's the... Is it the Russian... The, the Russian... The, the, no, the... The curler. Yes! The Russian curler. Evan, you rock. So Thank this you. was a story about an Olympic sport this week. That quote is from Madeleine DuPont, the head of the women's Danish curling team. She's reacting to news that Russian Olympic curler Alexander Krzysztofnitsky failed a doping test. A curler what? failed a doping test. Uh, well, you have the dope to curl? Yes. Also, Russia, you didn't learn anything? Right. No. This, this, this was quite distressing wow. because they had gone to great lengths to say that they weren't. So apparently he was using, or was alleged to have Legend. used, yeah. meldonium. That's a heart medication, and it can stay in the body for a bit. It increases blood flow, and it is banned from most sports. And as a result of this, he was stripped of his bronze medal. You doped and got bronze? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Russian sanction we need. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here we are. Evan, you've got one. The pressure. Let's go. (laughs) The quote is I'm a risk taker artistically. Fergie. I've been obsessed with this story all week. Did you guys see her sing the national anthem? Did you see it? The worst was like the worst was like she she doesn't know the whole time that it's going badly, and so she finishes and she's like. And in that moment, I said to myself, "Who's gonna tell her? Who's gonna tell her it went so badly?" Anyway, so you can finish the quote now. Sorry. I'll I'll begin, which says, "I am a risk taker artistically, but clearly this rendition." didn't strike the intended tone. (laughs) Actually, the quote I had suggested was from Charles Barkley afterward. What did he say? I need a cigarette. (laughs) 
It was like she was. It was like she was trying to sexy Tinder flirt with like America. But you know, we've all had a Fergie moment. Excuse me. Right. Every, everyone's pulled a Fergie. All right. Just you wait. Just you wait, people. I, I wouldn't have. I, I I wouldn't have done it at the All Star Game. Okay, that's true. That's true. We got one more. Oh. Here we go. We know there were many unanswerable questions and even more unbelievable stories from last year's Szechuan saga. Who, who said that? I have no idea. Can I phone a friend? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give you a hint. Yeah. Fast food chain. Oh, oh, oh Panda Express? Burger, I don't know, McDonald's with this. Panda Express? <laughs> Wait, McDonald's? He said McDonald's. Okay. McDonald's. Oh, Evan got it. All right. What happened to McDonald's? They had these sauces for a cartoon. What sauces? And they didn't have enough sauce, and people were mad. Oh, the, what's the show? What's the show? Brick and Morty. Brick and, okay, whatever it is. So yeah. there's a tale. There's a tale. So okay. this is actually promotional language from McDonald's advertising their new podcast. McDonald's has a podcast. <laughs> That's yes. it. Podcasts are over. That's... <laughs> it's called The Sauce. That's it, podcast. I am are not over. making this up. <laughs> so, if you missed the backstory, in 1998, McDonald's did this special Szechuan sauce to promote the Disney film Mulan. Then they brought it back for a single day last October after the Adult Swim cartoon Rick and Morty made Finding the Long Lost Sauce a plot point in their latest season. And McDonald's made it available, but only in limited locations. It was this huge hit. There was even a story online of somebody trading a car for some of this. And so now they're going to make a podcast about it. The sauce. Wow. Corbin, are you going to download that podcast? I might. Okay. <laughs> Let Corva live her life. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But this brings me to one other thing. There's one thing you gotta know. Sam. Yes. Do you want to tell us your McDonald's story? <laughs> what is my McDonald's story? The one you <laughs> the one you tweeted about. Oh my god! <laughs> this is the most amazing story. It is. So um I'm moving like on Saturday and I wanted to reconnect with some friends. It's fine. It's fine. I'll be back all the time. But I wanted to reconnect with um, some friends from school, from grad school. And so we go out, and then we end up at this bar with the dance floor, and people are starting to dance. And I'm just like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And so I said to my friend Desmond, I was like, we're going to McDonald's. So we go to McDonald's. I get a double filet of fish meal. And I bring it back to the club. Um, (laughs) I have... I have Desmond sneak it in his jacket, and we bring it up there. We go back to our friends who are dancing, and I'm like, give me the filet of fish So I eat the filet of fish sandwich on the dance floor with no shame. And then, because millennials, I tweet about it the next day, or that night on the way home. And then the next day, McDonald's tweeted back to me. They tweeted to me, That's at Sam Sanders, it's been a minute since we've heard a Saturday night recap that was this successful. Thank you, Corva. Thanks, Sam. All right, listeners, now it's time to end the show. As we always do every week, we ask our listeners to share the best thing that happened to them all week. We gather folks' best things, and Brent prepares them to play a nice little montage. We're going to hear it now, Brent. Hi, Sam. This is Kylan, originally from San Antonio. Go Spurs. Uh, My girlfriend Olivia and I listen to your podcast 
almost every Friday. And uh, the best thing that happened to me this week was that uh, Olivia and I got engaged. That is, assuming that she says yes. Uh, Olivia, I know we're listening to this together, and I just want to say I love you. You are the meaning of my life, and uh, will you marry me? That's a risk, bro. Hi, Sam. This is Tegan in Albany, New York. The best part of my week was that after many young adult years filled with hand-me-down furniture, I finally went out and bought my first brand new couch. The best thing that happened to me this week is that me and my girlfriend got our very first puppy together. I signed a contract for my first grown-up job. I got a promotion that's going to go a long way in helping my husband and I buy a house. I flew down to Oaxaca, Mexico to surprise my girlfriend who's doing study abroad there. My best thing all week was going to Vermont for a girls weekend with my best friends and then hearing your show. I'm Vermont Public Radio. Hey. Hi, Sam. This is Melissa. And the best thing that happened to me this week is my three kids finally got a full week of school between sickness and snow. <laughs> We've not had a full week since mid-December, and I finally get a full week of work. Thank goodness. Hey, Sam. This is James from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, the best thing that happened to me this week was after dealing with some hard thoughts about the school shooting in Florida this past week, uh, being able to work with my students in my classroom and watch them as the light bulbs go off and they start getting these concepts, reminding me why we're all there in the first place. Hi, Sam. It's Angel from Northern Virginia. About a year ago, our older daughter came home from college at winter break and told us that she wouldn't be going back to school. The why and the how of it all is a very long story and won't tell you here, but suffice it to say that it was a shock and not what any of us had envisioned for her. So we helped her move out of college and move back into her bedroom. She got a job, but we've been worried about her. Mm. But the best thing that happened to me this week was a couple of nights ago when our daughter called a family meeting and she told us thank you. Um, She thanked us for loving her and the patience um, that we've had with her all this time and um, it was so special. I want to thank you for the show. We listen to it together. Have a good one, Sam. A bientôt. Thanks. Uh, have a great week. Bye. I love those. Thanks to all the voices you heard. Yeah. Every week, every week. Um, thanks to all those voices you heard. Kyle, I really hope she says yes. If she does not, don't let us know. Um... <laughs> Thanks to Tegan, I can still remember buying my first big grown-up couch. It was so special to me. Uh, Thanks to Michael, Lauren, Chelsea, Mark, Lucinda, Melissa, James, and shout-out to all the teachers who had to get back up in front of classrooms this week. I know it's been hard. And and thanks to Angel. Um, We listen to all of these that come in. Please keep sending them in, even if we can't play all of them. Um, Remember, at any time... Throughout any week, you can share your best thing with us. Just email me the sound of your voice to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Show is done. I'm going to go out on my song of the week, Stir Fry by Migos. 
Thanks to our guests tonight, Jamish Alcindor, PBS, Evan McMorris-Santoro, The Vice, and our special guest host for Who Said That, NPR newscaster supreme, Corva Coleman. We have some more thank yous. Um, a lot of people worked very, very hard to make this show happen tonight, and I'm not just talking about Betty and her squad. Um, thanks to Jessica Goldstein and Joanne... Why did I say your first name wrong? I know your first name, Joanna. I'm sorry. Joanna Palowska, they produced the live event tonight. Renee Klar is behind all the visuals you see here. She is such a star. She has a different day job. She just does this for us anyway. We appreciate it. Uh, Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry produce the show every week. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. We have editing help from Jeff Rogers, who's all the way there in the back. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, special thanks to our engineers tonight here in Studio One, Brian Jarbo, Neil Tavault, and our VP of Program here at NPR is Anya Grundman. We're back in your feeds Tuesday, everyone. And stick around. There's still drinks in the lobby. Um, I, know, I know that you all want to get photos with Aunt Betty. She'll be sticking around for a while. Yes, she will. Um, and this is actually like my last hurrah before I leave for L.A., so hang out, seriously. Thank you, guys. See you in the lobby. Thank you, guys. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.